the word of the Lord to us tonight. Well, I promise that I will go no longer than an hour and a half, as he said. I appreciate this church. Most of all, I appreciate the goodness of God. You know, when you're 16, probably through 30, 35, you think you know, you think you know everything. And now at the age of 56, I realize that I'm just beginning to learn how some of the ways of the Lord work. I'm glad that his depth is farther than I can ever reach or see. His height is bigger than any problem I'll ever experience. His breadth or his width is from age to age. He is the infinite God. He is the omnipotent God. He is the omniscient God. He is my ever-present God in time of trouble. Would you worship him one more time with me? Lord, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to deliver your word. I thank you for this church. Thank you for my pastor. I thank you for the saints of the Most High. Lord, you are so good to us. It's a privilege to know the King. Hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, the 16th or the 5th, Ephesians, the 5th chapter, 16th through the 17th verse. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You may be seated. In the NIV, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a subject What a waste of time sinning is. 
or sin is a waste of time. The first chapter, the first uh, verse of the Bible tells us the story of creation. In the beginning. So the very first thing that God created was time. In the beginning. To have a beginning, you have to have a measure of time. Because if there is no time, there is no beginning, nor is there an ending. So before God, there was no time, there was no space, there was no matter. I don't understand how that is or how that could be. I just know that there are some ways, many ways of the Lord that I do not understand. But before All that is, is, there was God. He existed existed outside the realm of time and of space and of matter. And first of all, God is a God of order. The first thing he created was time. The second thing he said in the beginning... He created the heavens or matter or, or space, and then he created the earth. So God, first of all, he put the measure of time in place so that when he created space, there was a place to put the earth because you couldn't put the earth anywhere unless there was space for it. We just cleaned out one of our storage sheds or our storage shed, and it was out of space. There was nothing else we could put in it. It was stuffed full. Half of it went to Goodwill, and half of it came home, and half of it went somewhere else. I know three halves does not make a whole, but I think we basically had time and a half in that, in that, in that storage unit. I think we spent more on the rental of the storage unit than we did what was in the storage unit and what it was worth. But, you know, sometimes there are those things that you just can't give up. But we decided that when we were emptying out that storage shed, that if we hadn't used it in a year and a half, then we probably didn't need it. And so someone at Goodwill now has... uh, a few things that hopefully will make their life a bit better. I begin to, uh, in fact, it was something that was said in uh, Pastor's uh, sermon on Sunday. I don't even remember what it does or, or what it was, but I immediately began sending Melissa texts because the way I take notes is I send her text, and that, that way I can send her things and she'll get nonsense uh, sentences from me, uh, and she'll say, what was this for? And I'm like, oh, they're just uh, sermon notes, or they're just ideas that I've thought of. And the thing that came to my attention is that we don't have time to sit around doing nothing, but we especially don't have time 
to fall back into the sinful nature that God is so desperately trying to get us out of. We don't have time to ponder whether we agree with everything, whether we, uh, whether we understand every dot and every tittle of the word. Um, a tittle is actually a, uh, a real thing in grammar. If you look at a period or uh, a question mark or a, a, a comma, uh, in Hebrew, those were the tittles. And so God was so particular that he said that even the commas, the periods, the quotation marks, and the parentheses matter. God put this plan in place knowing exactly what would happen. There is no surprise in anything that has transpired. Because God still exists outside of the realm of time. He is not bound by time. We are bound by time. God, the best way I can can explain it in my finite mind, let's say this is the beginning of time and this is the end of time. God can see it all at once. Because... He is outside of time observing everything that happens. So the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning, and he knows everything in between. So God saw World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, soon to be World War III. He saw all these things transpire And yet we have a world that can make statements like, if there is, if your God is such a good God, then how come he allows children to be molested? Or how come he allows women to be uh, defiled? How come he allows sin and how come he allows uh, people to be murdered and to be abused? And to me, it's a very simple answer to this question, and that is that we all have a free will and a choice to do uh, what we believe is right or wrong. And with that choice, obviously, is there, there are going to be people that choose to not do right. And we have to live under the consequences of people and their decision. It is not Jesus that killed your grandmother. It is not God that allowed someone to be hurt or a child, an innocent, to be uh, abused or taken advantage of. It is free will that God, in his loving kindness, he gave it to us and entrusted us with it, intending for us to live and to live within the realms of a godly life, and it is us as humanity that has decided that we are going to be gods in and of ourselves, and we will make the decision what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Matt Walsh is a uh, commentator, and he is on um, the Daily Wire. He... he, uh, 
Um, I'm, I think I'm going to buy, I think they've wore me down enough. I'm going to buy a subscription to the website. <clears throat> but I've seen excerpts of, of one of his, his uh, latest movies that talks about what is a woman. And uh, one of the uh, experts, a uh, pediatrician from out east, he asked the question, uh, what is a woman? And, and the answer was circular. It says, it's whatever you think a woman is. Well, that didn't answer my question. What is, what is a woman? Well, it's whatever you think a woman is. No, 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 you didn't answer my question. And it just went on and on. We live in a world today that has constructed uh, a theology, and make no mistake about it, this doctrine that we are seeing in the world today has been on the drawing board for a thousand years, more than a thousand years. This doctrine that we are seeing being propagated in this world where this, uh, this society is perverting the image of God. The Bible tells us that God created male and female. So the male and female construct or the male and female principle or the male and female uh, reality of things is God's creation. It's not ours. Adam named the animals, so we could say that an elephant was named an elephant because a man named this big thing with big ears and a big trunk an elephant. But we can't say the same thing about the creation of the genders of this, of this planet. There are male and there are female. End of story. Uh, and it is not our responsibility to keep track of your pronouns, or is it our responsibility to prop up what you think you might be today? I was, I was watching an interview where um, it was uh, Charlie, somebody or another, uh, he's uh, a conservative uh, speaker, a young guy, and uh, he, was, he was talking about how that... <clears throat> Everything now is subjective, and that's what postmodernism has brought us. So before the, 19, uh, before the 1800s, we lived in what was called the modern era, and that's where most people looked at things pretty concretely, uh, that everything uh, has a right or a wrong, a beginning and an end. <clears throat> and it, was, it wasn't until the 1900s when we started getting into this postmodern thinking that truth is whatever you think truth is. And I've heard this statement many times in the last couple of years is, whose truth are we talking about? So you say that there are male and female, but whose truth are you talking about? Well, we're in a very dangerous position because what if we had five uh, carpenters show up to, to build a house? And each one of them had a ruler to measure and build this house. But it just so happened that each one of them had decided how long a foot was. Some of them, they had the foot, and it was about this long. Some of them, their foot was about this long. 
some, their foot was this long. And so everybody's foot was subjective. Now, it doesn't take much common sense for you to realize that that house probably won't even get to the first level. Because everybody's truth is subjective to what they feel their truth is. Uh, In the uh, Old Testament, when they were building the tabernacle, it talked about there was a golden, uh, there was a golden uh, measuring stick. So basically, there was a fundamental measuring guideline that everyone used, so everyone had something tangible to base the figures, the measurements, uh, the dimensions of this tabernacle because it was to be a place of worship. Now, if God was so particular on how his tabernacle was to be put together, then we don't have a right to come in and mess with God's truth his fundamental principles, and decide what is right and wrong according to our version of how we see the world and how we view life. So as I listen to, and again, I'll I'll think of it at some point. I've tried to think of it over the last several days of what you said that made me think about this. But I thought we are... As a society, as a world, and also as a church, we are spending too much time wasting it or sinning or not redeeming the time. The the root word for redeeming is ransom. And so the Bible is telling us that we are to ransom time or basically hold it captive and to make sure that we use it properly. Because when an hour goes by and you did nothing with it, you lost that hour and it's, it's never, ever retrievable. If you spend an hour in sinfulness, if you spend an hour doing or watching something that you shouldn't, you certainly have repentance. You certainly have amends that you can make. You certainly can come before the God of your salvation and he can forgive you. But that was an hour of, of time that you can never get back. And so God began to deal with me more than ever, especially the last month or two. I've, I've been not by choice. Um, I, I work at a, uh, at a hospital and a hospital is a 24-7 uh, institution, and we have been so low on therapists that I have been having to work Sundays. And uh, it has caused me, one every now and then is, you know, unfortunate, but I can deal with that. But I've, I've had Sunday after Sunday, and uh, it's not that I can say no, it's, it's that there are 32 patients that during that day, there would be no one there for them. So it's not that I have a choice to say, I'll pass. It's I either go into work or I find another job. Now, that's still on the table, but I've been keeping myself accountable with my pastor 
and hopefully good things are coming. Someone was interviewed today, and my Lord said, or I, I said to the Lord as this guy passed by, I'm like, I don't care. He's breathing. Hire him. <laughs> That's the only qualification that we need. You can breathe, and you can talk. You're hired. Hire him. And so uh, we have had two or three people hired over the last couple of weeks, so things are looking up. For that, I'm grateful to the Lord. Otherwise, I would have to look for another job. And uh, I have done that. I have left a job because it interfered with my walk with God. Because I'm to redeem the time. I am to hold the time that God has given me so close that I don't waste any moment. And I cannot, I've said this before, uh, can God heal people from addiction? And absolutely, God can heal that brain. He can heal that liver. He can heal that blood vessel. He can heal the neuropathy in their hands and their feet. But he does not heal their behavior. Some of you may disagree with me on that, but we have free will. And so God does not heal behavior. That's your choice to decide whether you're going to put it down or whether you're going to pick it up. And the interesting thing about this is you've got to remember, once you learn a bad behavior, it's still with you. God doesn't take away uh, your old past sinful. uh, You remember how to how many of you still remember how to sin? Right? We all remember how to sin, and some of us are experts at it. Well, it's the same with addiction. It's the same with sinfulness. It's the same with all those things in life. We have the tendency, if we do not keep ourselves in um, accountability and in the house of God, that we can revert back to that old base nature that God delivered us out of. Just because I repented of my sins and I got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and I received the gift of the Holy Ghost does not make me exempt from making choices of sinfulness. God does not mess with my free will. And so that's where we have to, Colossians 4 and 5 tells us, we have to conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. So it's important that we realize that God is interested in what you do with your time. It's not about you coming to the house of God and putting in your time and doing your duty and then walking out and you've got a check mark that you can check check off of your list of to-dos to do for that particular day. This is a lifestyle that is more than just attending the house of God. It's the way we redeem our time. It's what we do when no one's watching. It's what we do and how we conduct ourselves towards the outsider. I I work in an environment where um, I can talk about my faith, but I'm not there to talk to people about my faith. And so what I mean by that is that 
if someone asks me a question about my faith, I absolutely can talk about my faith. But as a therapist, I have to be very, very careful because I'm influential with people. They are in addiction. They are striving for <clears throat> answers. And if I put uh, things into them, which uh, therapists can do, and there are therapists that are very unethical, that will tell women uh, to immediately divorce their husbands, that will tell uh, women to abort their children, that will, there, there are uh, therapists that will absolutely do antisocial things because we live in a sinful world. But I'm not that guy. And so when I walk into a room with another individual, I don't preach the gospel to them. I live the gospel in front of them. I had a man walk in my office. He's uh, 50 years old, and he sat down, and he, uh, he began to cry. And I just sat there with him in silence. I respected him. I respected what he was doing. I listened to his story. And we were, when we were done, he said, you're a man of faith, aren't you? I don't know how he knew that other than he read something in my demeanor because I had never talked to him before. I said, I am. He said, would you pray for me? I said, I absolutely will. And he said, you start. So I prayed in the only name that I knew. I prayed in the name of Jesus over him. And he began to shake and he began to weep. He began to cry. And when he was done, he looked at me and he said, I have never felt hope like this in my life about anything. It wasn't me, but it was the God in me. To conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. He opens the door. I'll walk through it, but I have to wait until they open the door. Daniel tells us, the king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm. If you remember back to our scriptures that we opened with, be very careful how that you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There were no sentences in those two scriptures that sounded like suggestions. They were commands. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It just, it just gets me every time that I hear someone say, I'm searching for the will of God. Now, if, if God just began to move on you and you don't know what it is, obviously there is a course, uh, there is a path that we walk that will eventually lead us to the will of God. I'm specifically talking about people that have been searching for the will of God for years, and during that search, they've done nothing. That's who I'm talking about. And in my mind, what doesn't make sense about that is that the will of God is that I do good unto others. And I don't need directions and instructions on how to do good to others. 
You just do good to others. Billy Sunday, in the early 1900s, he said that a life of ministry, that a life of ministry and, and young ministers, uh, this might be a good word of wisdom for you. A life of ministry begins with good works. We say in addictions all the time, just for today, just for today, I'm going to be sober. I can't worry about being sober tomorrow. Today, I'm going to be sober. Oftentimes, family members come to me and they say, you know, is that all they learned in the 30 days that they were in your program, that they're just going to be sober today? And I say, yep, because it's about my best behavior today. If I say I'm not going to use for the rest of my life, that is a big goal. How many of you women could say, I'm not going to eat chocolate for the rest of my life? How about if you say, how about if I said, how many of you are willing that you're not going to eat chocolate the rest of the day until midnight? That's an easy goal. Sometimes we have people in addiction. It's like, how about you be sober for the next hour? Then when we get through that hour, how about we try to be sober for another hour? God isn't expecting you to set a goal that you're never going to fail or sin or do anything for the rest of your walk with God. He's just saying, redeem the time and do what's right today. That's why we come up with statements in addiction that say that you're, what am I supposed to do to keep myself safe and sober? How about you do the next right thing? How about you look at your life and do the next right thing? Famous general, and I always, I always forget his name. Someone asked him, how do, you, how do you achieve success in your life, general? How do you make the most of life? You've been successful. And he said something very odd. He said, uh, he said I, I would recommend that you start making your bed every morning. Now, if you think about that, what he was saying is when you get up, you've made your bed, you've made it neat. If your day is lousy, at least the first thing you did, you started it off right. But as human beings, when we do one thing right, it, it propels us often to do the next thing right, and so on and so forth. And so it's important that we just look at the simple things in life that God is trying to tell each and every one of us to do and do it as unto the Lord. Because his word says that the days are evil and we are to know what the Lord's will is. If you're struggling with what the Lord's will is, I would rec recommend that you just do the next right thing. That you find some way to bless and help somebody in your immediate circle. You know, the Bible even tells us that they begin in Jerusalem. Then it went to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. We don't start evangelizing over in Russia first. You start first in your own home. You look what's in your own backyard first before you start looking in your neighbor's backyard. 
That's why it's important for you to make sure you stay in your own lane because I've got enough garbage in my own lane that I've got to take care of from time to time that I've got to make sure that my heart is right and I know what I'm doing is right before the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12 and 1 says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. What Ecclesiastes was saying is that don't wait until you're old and you have to look back at your life and say, I have no delight in my life. I have no pattern of successes. And you say, well, I've not lived for God and, and I'm later in my years. Well, then do what's right and continue that on for the rest of your life. But if you understand that there is a God and you're a young person, the Bible's telling us is in the days of your youth, before your years draw nigh, make sure that you live rightly before the Lord. The other day, uh, I was reading and I found this statement and I love it. I may have mentioned it here already. And it says this, when the student arrives, the teacher appears. When the student arrives, the teacher appears. So if you, if you pick that statement apart, what it's saying is that often in life, we have not been teachable, but yet there have been a multitude of teachers around us. Circumstances, life, people, jobs, bosses. And then one day when you achieve some level of humility, you wake up and you start looking around and you start seeing the teachers in your life that are able to enhance you and make you better. But it's not until you take on the attitude of being that student, which is what we are. We are fellow citizens. We are disciples. We are learning and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so every time we walk in here, don't walk in here with a dogmatic, skeptic, uh, skeptic attitude. Walk in here with uh, an attitude of, maybe this is a rough way to say it, but an attitude of ignorance saying, God, I don't know anything. Fill me. Teach me. Help me understand. Help me be willing to be taught. Uh, Even the least of these. Uh, Have you ever seen somebody that they're very dismissive of children? Now, I will tell you right now, my my grandkids drive me insane. Uh, I can only take them for so long uh, before uh, it starts. I already have issues with uh, anxiety, and so... My anxiety starts to build. I don't know what happens when you get older, but my toleration for little children, I love them. I adore children, but in small doses. (laughs) It's kind of like fudge. I love fudge, but only a piece of fudge. The second piece of fudge, it's like, no, that's too much. And so the first hour, I love it when they're there. The second hour, it's just too much. Just too much. And so 
But here's the interesting thing about this. You can be, you can be the student in that metaphor, but you can also be the teacher. Because God has instructed us that we are to redeem the time and know what the will of the Lord is and to use and make most the most of every opportunity to do what? To be disciples, to be his emissary, to be people that are talking and living this gospel in front of other people. We're living in the last day. There was an article not too long ago that talked about uh, red heifers that are being shipped over to to Israel. I've heard that before. Another four, four or six heifers from Indiana, actually, I believe, were sent over to to Jerusalem for practice in sacrificial temple worship. During COVID, 80% of the world's wealth exchanged hands. Right now we have probably under 10 people that are calling the shots for the entire world. I don't know how many of you are paying much attention to Ukraine, but the issue there is not really Ukraine. The issue is we've had all these environmentalists. Any of you uh, remember Uh, A couple of months back when all the farmers, all the Dutch farmers began to uh, start forming uh, long picket lines and they began to do protests because so many uh, restrictions were placed on them because of the fertilizers that they use. And I understand uh, that we need to be careful with chemicals that we use. They basically are shutting down the farmers in, in um, Holland, which produces way more grain and produce than any country of its size. And you've got country after country that is doing this Green New Deal. You know what? We can't live currently without fossil fuels. We're just not ready And so what's going to happen this winter is guess who's got their hand on the spigot of the natural gas for all of Europe? His name is Putin. I don't know what's going to happen this winter. I hope it doesn't go the way that I've heard it's going to go. But it very possibly could be a very catastrophic winter for many, many people in this world. 13 to 16%. Your groceries has went, have went up in the last six months. Anybody feeling that? How many is enjoying uh, putting $100 worth of gas in your gas tank? I love it. I would have just spent that money at Starbucks anyway. <laughs> I'm like, thank you so much, government, for helping me see the right priority Uh, Because what they're doing is they're forcing Melissa and I to consider buying a $90,000 Tesla. (laughs) How many of you, because of that $100 gas tank, you've been more and more looking at getting a Tesla? Raise your hand. Isn't that ridiculous? Who can afford? I know the people that can afford that 
They're the people telling us to get rid of our gas guzzlers and to go green because they can afford their Tesla, uh, which, by the way, if any of you are, are, are not smart, uh, I don't want to use that word. If, you, if any of you don't understand this principle yet, green energy does not work. It costs more. It's a lie. You put that uh, electric uh, uh, charger in your Tesla, where is the electricity coming from? It's not coming from solar because when the sun don't shine, there is no solar. It's not coming from the wind because when the wind don't blow, there is no wind power. It's not coming from nuclear in this country because we have very few nuclear plants. It's coming from coal. It's coming from gas. Do I believe we need to be safer, cleaner, and wiser? Absolutely. God gave us this earth for us to be good stewards of it. But yet we're being set up. That's why, why am I talking about this? Is because sin is a waste of time because we are to redeem the time because more than ever before with my understanding and it's limited of end time prophecy and end time uh, things, I believe we are living on the edge of the coming of the Son of Man. Are we going to go through the tribulation? I don't know. Is God coming before? I don't know. Is he coming during? I don't know. All I know is that wherever he comes, I've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And if you can't serve God now, then how are you going to serve him when unless you do it a certain way, you can't get food for your family. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but years ago, people wondered how that we could number everybody on the earth. Well, guess what? We're all numbered. You have a Social Security card? You're numbered. You have a bank account? You're numbered. How many of you, and some of you may, how many of you are pure cash? Not very many anymore. There are months that go by and I don't have a dollar in my pocket. I have my cash card. I could live cashless. Except for those roadside, you know, flea markets, then I'd be in trouble. But I've actually stopped at some and they have the little thing that you swipe. And I'm grateful for that. It's a blessing from the Lord. And I can buy another one of those uh, barometers that Sister Runyon always throws away. 1 Corinthians 2, 29. I'm coming to a close. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they have none. So what is this scripture saying? Paul, does that mean that if I'm married, I'm to just ignore her? I wouldn't recommend it. What that scripture is saying is that more than ever, as families, as husbands, as wives, 
We've got to dedicate ourselves to the service of the Lord as if we were single. It doesn't mean that we treat our spouse or our family like we are the lone wolf and we go do our own thing. It just says that we need to act as if we have all the time during the day and the evening to get things done for the Lord. Take those opportunities. 1 Corinthians 7, 31, And those who see the world as though they, ha- they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. For those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, live your life. Live for God. Have fun in the process. But make sure that you bring someone along the way with you. Say, I, I'm, not, I'm not the soul winner, Paul. I, I'm, I'm not outgoing. You're talking to the wrong guy. You're talking to the wrong guy. Crowds make me nervous. My hands shake. My pits sweat. My hands get wet. When I get around crowds, I have social anxiety. Sometimes it drives me crazy. I've prayed and tried to get rid of it. I even take medicine for it, and I still have it. But yet, and I don't say this to brag, but in the last five, six years, Sister Ronnie and I have taught 50, 60 Bible studies. I don't know how they come because it's not that I'm jumping up and down with a billboard on, it, but it's you make yourself available and the opportunity arises. If you become a student, then the opportunity appears. If you just say, Lord, show me, let me put my spiritual ears on. And when I hear somebody say something like, yeah, I'd like to know more about the word of the Lord, that your ears perk up and say, hey, I know a way. How about we meet for coffee? Now, I'm going to meddle, and then I'm going to shut down. I'm going to go sit down. I think one of the issues is the Bible says that they went daily from house to house, breaking bread and in fellowship. Some of you would rather die than invite someone over to your home. When I was little, I remember people knocking on our door and we didn't know who it was. We'd go to the door and it'd be like, oh, hey, come on in. Some of you would mortally die if someone knocked on your door and said, we're here for coffee. Some of you would, uh, you'd go in the back room shut the door and you'd send your your husband to the front door and that'd be the end of that. Pull the Nescafe out, put some crackers on the table and learn to fellowship again. In fact, in, in Corinthians, it talks about the gift of hospitality as one of the spiritual gifts, giftings of the church. And we're losing that. 1960, People sit around dinner tables five times a week. Right now it's two. 
We're losing contact with each other and we're more connected than we've ever been before. I think one of these days we ought to have a big bonfire and we all bring our $1,000 cell phones and we chuck them in. And after we have our nervous breakdowns, let's live a peaceful life. Get you a flip phone, call your brothers and sisters, go over for water and crackers if that's all you can afford. Say, but you don't know my house. We'll clean it up then. Get the spaghetti from last week off the table and have someone over to your house. You know what? I've been in all kinds of homes. When you teach Bible studies, you go to all kinds of homes. Oh, Lord. But you know what? We laughed, we cried, we prayed, we studied the word of the Lord, we made lifelong friendships, people received the Holy Ghost, were baptized. It was worth it all. <clears throat> I just waited till I got in the car to vomit my mouth because it was stinky in that home. If you're not willing to get a little messy, you know the Bible says where uh, there are no oxen, the crib is clean. Where there are no workers, there's no mess. And some people would rather have a church where there's not messy, stinky people that don't know how to act right, don't know how to behave themselves. We can teach them. Model how you're supposed to act. Grab hold of some of your some of these these little kids in this church need to have their their tails uh, taken care of and they need to have their ear pulled and set, set in a seat. When I, when my kids were little, you know, this is a story about no shoes, walking uphill in a snowstorm. My kids sit right there. I had, they had toys and books and I, I dared them to get up out of their seat. And I, I, the other day I watched a child run in the back and run into one of our elders in it, and it just upset me so. But if I would have said something to that, that, that couple, they'd probably never spoke to me again. But yet that was an elderly person that if they had gotten knocked over, it could have really hurt them. It's those simple things. Redeem the time. Take care of business. Be wise. Don't let your kids do anything that will make you not like them. I see people all the time. And this is my last statement, I promise. All the time, forget what we're here for. We're not here for your job. We're not here for a career. We're not here for a new home, a house, and all those things are wonderful. We're here to spread the gospel. That's what we're here for. Sin is a waste of time.